And for the rest of us, I invite you to take your Bibles and go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. Again, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Well, here we are, Lord. We are your children. You are our God. And we're gathered here to glorify your name. So let no other name be glorified in this space. Through the proclaiming of your word, be glorified. Through its receiving in our hearts, in our lives, in our souls, may it be glorified. I pray, Father, that you would bind my lips and my tongue, that no false word might pass from them. In fact, if you would move me aside completely, Holy Spirit, you have the benefit of being able to skip speech and skip the ears and go straight to the heart. So won't you do so this morning? We are your people. And as such, we love you. We worship you today. Amen. So I did this last year in uh, this season, and I think I might do it every year. Uh, we'll see. But I have a trivia question for you today. Who can tell me the meaning of the word Advent? And Allison wasted no time in getting it right two years in a row. So <laughs> here's your challenge, people of God. Next year, Beat Allison to the punch on the meaning of the word Advent. It means preparation. And actually, the word Advent has a twofold meaning. It means preparation because it also means the arrival of an important person. And so it means preparation in that when this important person is coming, is going to arrive, we prepare ourselves for that arrival. And in the church, we call the Christmas season the Advent season. We call it the Advent season because as a church, we intentionally enter into a period of preparation where we prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the arrival of a very important person. I'll tell you what this looks like for me. There are you know, Advent devotionals, reflections, there's music, there's a lot of different ways that you can prepare your heart. My goal in my personal Advent preparation is this. My goal is to connect at a soul level with the deepest joy 
of Christmas. What I mean by that is this. There are lots of joys at Christmas, right? There is spending time with family. There's time off from work. There are good parties with good food and laughter. There's the giving and receiving of gifts. There are many, many joys of Christmas. My goal in my personal Advent preparation is to connect at a soul level with the deepest joy among many joys. The joy that Jesus Christ, the the God-man, the baby king, was born to save my soul. If I can connect with that at a soul level, with the deepest joy of Christmas, then my Advent season has been a success. Uh, Advent is a season of preparation, and there are many preparations that go into getting ready for Christmas. And and one of these main preparations, uh, there are different categories of how uh, we like to prepare, how well prepared we are. And, And it starts with this. I'll ask you this question. At what point in your year do you start shopping for Christmas presents? Because there are many, there's a whole spectrum of categories of people. And the first category are those persons who begin their Christmas shopping like the week of Christmas or God forbid Christmas Eve. And if you fall into this category, here's the gospel. Jesus Christ died for your sins and you can be saved The next category of people, and this is my normal category, um, and this, maybe it's because I'm biased because it's my category, but this is the first acceptable category, uh, which is maybe you begin your Christmas shopping right after Thanksgiving. Advent season is your season of buying Christmas gifts, and maybe you're like, yeah, Black Friday starts my Christmas shopping. I don't want to buy before then because I'll miss out. I'll spend too much money. could get some deals on Black Friday. If you fall into this category of preparedness, to me, that's acceptable. The next category, if you are in this next category, you get an A plus in preparedness. The next category of people are those who, with the turning of the season from summer to fall, around back to school, you know, August, September, you begin your Christmas shopping. If you are this level of prepared, you get an A plus. You are a saint. But there's one final category of Christmas shopping preparers. Uh, And if you are in this category then you are unhuman. There are some of you in this room who have Christmas gifts purchased for Christmas 2024 already. There is a category of people who never cease to shop for Christmas presents. And uh, I think that as a child, my mom was in this category. And the reason I think that is because there was a pronouncement that would be made in the Anderson house uh, that went something like this. Kids... From now until Christmas, no one is allowed in mom and dad's closet. And I'd be like, well, it's January 24th, so that's a long time to wait to get to go in mom and dad's closet. It it didn't make, let's just have a rule, no going in mom and dad's closet. My mom would shop for Christmas gifts. I mean, it felt like so far in advance. And, And here's the deal about you people in this category If this is you, I think that you demonstrating this level of preparedness, and I'm serious when I say this, is you demonstrating your imago Dei, your image of God. 
God created humans in his image, in his likeness, and and we all spend our lives reflecting that image of God, different pieces of that image of God. Some of us reflect some pieces better, and others reflect other pieces better. If you are the year-round Christmas shopper, when you do that, you are reflecting your Imago Dei, and here's why I believe that. If God had to shop for Christmas presents... God would start shopping for Christmas presents on December 26th. And I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt because the first time we ever hear from God about Christmas is on the first day that Christmas became necessary. The first time we ever hear from God about Christmas, the day that God began preparing for Christmas, began his advent, was the first day that Christmas became necessary. In the first book of our Bibles, Genesis chapter 3, it's a tragic story. It's the story of the fall. God created Adam and Eve. He placed them in the Garden of Eden. He gave them one rule, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, And they uh, broke the one rule. The serpent came in to tempt them, uh, and they fell prey to temptation, as we all, I think, would have. Uh, They broke the one rule and in so doing introduced sin into the world and brokenness into our relationship with God. And in response to this, God addressed each of the characters in Genesis 3 individually. He addressed, addressed Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And in his response to the serpent, we get his first preparation that we hear about for Christmas. This is what Genesis 3, 14 and 15 says. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And here we hear God's preparation. And between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In the church, we understand these words of God from Genesis 3, 14 and 15 to be the first prophecy of the coming of Jesus. That the descendant of the woman, that Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, would die a painful death. That the serpent would strike his heel. Jesus would, in fact, experience pain at a bodily level as the nails go through his arms and his feet. And at a soul, spiritual level as he takes on the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus experienced real pain as the serpent struck his heel. But it didn't stop there. Jesus crushed the serpent's head in his death and resurrection. We believe that Jesus totally and completely stamped out sin and death and the devil. That the end of the journey is already decided. We know the end of the story because Jesus so thoroughly crushed the serpent's head. If you're a year-round Christmas shopper, you are exhibiting your image of God because God began preparing, began Advent for Christmas on the very first day that Christmas became necessary. 
I love the way that the Jesus Storybook Bible puts this. I'm going to read a quote. If you haven't heard of the Jesus Storybook Bible, it's a great kid's Bible, and we read it to my son uh, most nights. And this is the way that they imaginatively interpret Genesis chapter 3. It says this, Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness that you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. The first day that Christmas became necessary, God began making his plans. And his plans uh, were very thorough and detailed. His plans began sending messengers, invitations to his grand Christmas party through Moses and the prophets. And the prophets, their prophetic word was to repent of your sin and come back to Jesus. And they culminated in the word of John the Baptist. And, and John is... John the Baptist is who we're introduced to in our anchor text this morning. John chapter 1 verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And and this is a different John than the author of John's gospel. John, uh, the gospel writer, is writing about John the Baptist who was the cousin of Jesus. And John the Baptist was a critical element in God's advent for Christmas, his preparation John the Baptist, it says in verse 6, was sent from God. And verse 7 says that he came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. If you remember the story, the Christmas story in the beginning of Luke's gospel, the angel Gabriel came and appeared to Mary and said, you're going to give birth to a son. You'll call him Jesus and he will save the whole world of their sin. But before Gabriel was sent by God as a messenger to Mary, he was sent by God as a messenger to Mary's relatives, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And he said to Zechariah, your wife, though barren and though past childbearing years, will give birth to a son. You will call him John. And it says uh, that he would make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist's whole life mission was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's Luke 1.17. And so John was sent as a witness concerning the light so that through him all might believe. And so he bore witness. He was a proclaimer, one who would give testimony. And he would use his voice to stand up and tell people truth. And so in In Mark chapter 1, verse 4, and in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, we get uh, some words about what his witness was. In Mark chapter 1, it says that John the Baptist was baptizing with a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And his message that he preached with that baptism in Matthew 3 was this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, the word repent originally is not a churchy word or a spiritual word. It is now, but it hasn't always been this way. The word repent literally means to turn away from. So you could repent from being, if you live in Houston, repent from being a Cowboys fan and follow 
the Texans and C.J. Stroud, the chosen one. You, you could repent uh, <laughs> turning away from something to face the other direction. And it, it has to go in things that are opposing one another. You have to turn away completely and face something else. So John preached this, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He baptized people with a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so what this means is that John preached the same message that the prophets preached for generations. He said to the people of God, turn away from your sin and turn back to God so that you can be forgiven of your sin. I love this. He says that the kingdom of heaven has come near. I was asked this in my ordination paperwork recently to describe the kingdom of heaven In its simplest form, you know what I think the kingdom of heaven is? I think the kingdom of heaven is anywhere where Jesus is king. If Jesus is the king somewhere, that place is the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is advancing upon the creation. John said, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. It used to be far off and God knew that you had no shot of getting to that kingdom on your own. So he up and brought the kingdom to you. John preached this message of repentance. Now, when I think about John the Baptist, I think, you know what? I'm really glad that God chose John the Baptist to be John the Baptist and not me. Because this job is a scary job. I mean, John the Baptist was a social weirdo. He lived in the wilderness. He wore clothes made of camel skin. His main food of choice were locusts dipped in honey. And he was constantly telling people, turn away from your sin and come back to God. Which means telling people constantly, you are sinners who need saving. That's a tough job. Uh, And I know there's irony because I'm kind of doing that right now. Not kind of, I am doing that right now. But... He did this in a scarier way. John the Baptist was a street preacher, right? He would just stand up on a box. He didn't like prepare a sermon. He would just get up and talk anytime there was someone to listen to. Did you know there was actually a street preacher in Creekside this week? Anybody hear the young man preaching on Friday night? Could you hear it from your house or just driving by? From your house. Yeah, so there was a young man who was in the Aldi parking lot And he was close to Kirkendall. He had two speakers set up and a microphone, and he was preaching the gospel message. And I only heard him for just a few moments. You know, most street preaching is is, uh, relating to, we think of like fire and brimstone. You're all going to hell if you go to this Toby Mac concert is what I heard somebody receive, the message they received at the Toby Mac concert the other day. That's not the message that I heard from this young man. Maybe if you heard him longer than I did, you heard something different. But what I heard made me think that this guy is kind of like a modern-day John the Baptist. What I heard him say while I was stopped at the light at Huffsmith was that the implanted Word of God is powerful to save your souls. That's straight out of Scripture. The implanted Word of God is powerful to save your souls. He was preaching a gospel message of repentance. Come to Jesus for the forgiveness of of your sins. You can be saved. 
When I was sitting there listening to that guy, I also thought, I don't know if I'd have the courage to do what he's doing, to just stand up in the middle of Creekside with a microphone and some speakers and just start preaching for whoever would listen. He's a modern-day John the Baptist. And there's something that John the Baptist and this young man shared, a knowledge that they shared that gave them the courage to do what they did. It's a very simple truth. They understand that without Jesus forgiving our sins, we're all as good as dead. Without Jesus forgiving our sins, we are all as good as dead. And John the Baptist knew this. And his concerns about being looked at as a weirdo were outweighed by his concern for the safety of the people around him. And he came as a witness to the light that said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And there's this powerful little phrase in John chapter 1, verse 7 about his witness. It says that he came as a witness so that through him all might believe. The word that sticks out to me from there is all. How might all believe through the witness of John the Baptist. And, and, and what do you think that means? Do you think that means that, uh, that the goal of John's witness was for every person who ever lived and ever will live to believe and be saved? Or do you think it means that for everyone who would believe and be saved, that they would be saved through the witness of John the Baptist? You see the difference? Is, is it everyone everywhere is the goal or everyone who is saved is saved because of the witness of John the Baptist? I think it's both. The scripture tells us that it's God's will. God doesn't will for anyone to perish. The goal of John's message was for all to believe, though not all did choose to believe. But also, the witness of John is the witness through which all believe. And it's kind of one of those grandfathered-in situations. Let me ask you this. Does the witness of John the Baptist prevail today? For you who believe, can you hear the witness of John the Baptist? Have you heard John the Baptist say that the King is coming? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Get yourself ready. Become a people prepared for the coming of the King. He's bringing the kingdom here. Turn from your sin. If you're hurting and broken, come to Jesus and find healing. If you are in pain and sadness, come to Jesus and find comfort. If you are lonely and isolated, come to Jesus and find community and friendship. If you're a slave to your habits and your addictions, come to Jesus and find freedom. Can you hear that witness? The witness of John the Baptist does prevail to this day. But not because we all can hear his voice. How will all believe if there's only one witness? They won't. 
Did you know, brothers and sisters, that the very same word used to describe John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verse 7, this word witness, is the word that Jesus used in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he gave his disciples their new job title. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to his disciples, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Through your witness, all might believe. One of my favorite uh, animated movies is Finding Nemo. Have you seen Finding Nemo? Anybody not seen Finding Nemo? Okay, good. Um, Finding Nemo is a great movie, and and if everyone has seen it, that means everyone will be able to connect with this illustration. That's a win. Uh, Finding Nemo is a beautiful story of a father pursuing a lost son, which sounds a lot like the Bible, by the way. Um, But there's this powerful, powerful image towards the end of the movie. There's a fishing boat, and the fishing boat lets down a net, and it begins to catch an entire school of unsuspecting fish until there, this, like hundreds and hundreds of fish are being pulled up to the surface of the water by this fishing net let down by this fishing boat. And, and as soon as they realize what's going on, chaos breaks loose. I mean, they start to scream and yell, and they're flapping their little fish tails and their fins, and they're going in all different directions, and they are headed for certain death. And then along came a witness. Nemo begins to proclaim a message. Swim down. Swim down. As Nemo proclaims, testifies to the good news... For the saving of these fish. Some other fish catch the vision. And they add their voices, their witness to the witness of Nemo. Swim down. First it's 10 fish, then 20 fish, then 50 fish, then hundreds of fish are all chanting in unison. Swim down. Swim down. Down And they all begin to swim downwards in one direction together. And their, their combined strength begins to overpower the boat. Do you remember? The, the, the pulley is pulling them up and it begins to slow down. And it begins to creak until finally it breaks. And the net releases and it goes to the bottom of the ocean. All the fish are saved. Through the witness of one. All believed. Brothers and sisters, if you have heard the witness of John the Baptist this day, John the Baptist's witness that was to make ready a people prepared for the coming of the Lord, will you add your voice to his? Will you look around at this community, the people who live in lakes at Creekside, the people who live in Sterling Ridge, the people who live in Tupelo, the people who live in Liberty Branch, the people who live in Augusta Pines, will you look at them 
and understand the simple truth that John the Baptist and our young unnamed friend from Aldi parking lot understood. That without Jesus forgiving their sins, these people's sins, they're as good as dead. And will you add your voice? Will you add your witness? Will a part of your Advent season of preparation for the coming of the King this Christmas be to participate not only in your own readiness, but in making ready a people prepared for the coming of the Lord? By the grace of God, May it be so. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you're the type of person who shops for Christmas gifts all year round. Thank you that you made a plan the moment it became necessary for the saving of our souls. Thank you that your plan included sending John the Baptist as a witness to testify to the light of Jesus. And thank you that your plan includes sending other people, sending us, those willing to add our voices to the voice of John's. Will you give us the grace to find courage to proclaim the gospel with our neighbors? To have a greater love for them than we have for ourselves and our own comfort God, we confess we don't have all the answers. We don't, there's so many conversations that we're not prepared for. But I just hear the words of Jesus to be a witness. To be a witness is just to share what you have seen. And so, Jesus, show us yourself so that we might bear witness to what you've done in our own lives. Church, you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to have your own story. So give us this grace, Lord, we pray. And Father, now as we continue into a time of offering, my prayer is twofold. My prayer is that you would bless the gifts, that you would multiply them and make them effective in their use to bring the kingdom in Creekside as it is in heaven. And my prayer is also for the givers, that you would bless these givers with the freedom that comes from giving things away. In great love for you, we pray, Jesus. Amen.